The following is audio from Fellowship Community Church in Centennial, Colorado. If you would like more resources or want to support this ministry, please visit www.fcchurch.org. We've been on a journey through the Gospel of Mark. and What a blessing it has been. We identified the key verse as 10 and 45, for even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. He is the servant on the mission. And that appears to be the theme that Mark is continuously telling us about. Do you believe that Satan is active today? Hmm. Do you believe he's a personal enemy, adversary, and liar? Well, this is what Scripture tells us about our enemy The great dragon was hurled down, Revelation 12, that ancient serpent called the devil or Satan who leads the whole world astray. He was hurled to the earth and his angels with him. Then I heard a loud voice in heaven say, now have come the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Messiah. For the accuser of our brothers and sisters who accuses them before our God day and night has been hurled down. One of the techniques the enemy uses is to accuse us, to accuse believers. And what does he use? Lies, right? He's the father of all lies. You belong to your father, the devil, the deceiver, the liar, and you want to carry out your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning, not holding to the truth, for there's no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks his native language, or he's a liar and the father of lies. So I was at a pastor's conference this week, and it was four pastors. The speakers were addressing us as pastors and leaders in church. And um, the, the fellow leading said, what lies are you believing? Some lies come from within. Some lies come from others speaking to us. Some lies do come from the devil. Ultimately, since he's the father of all lies, they do ultimately trace back to him. Now, these are pastors, all right? This man has counseled with pastors for decades. So don't be frightened by the list. I'm just going to give you 10, all right? These are lies that pastors say they are believing or have believed. God forgives me, but I cannot forgive myself. If you really knew me, You would never like me, so I must hide my real self from you. I married the wrong person. Pastors. You're all alone. No one could ever understand you. God will love me in the future, but not in the present. Time heals all wounds. It's a lie. I tell you, I was convicted by that one, and with a group of guys I was with, I kind of went back and visited some wounds and realized sometimes you need to reopen the scab and let healing to come back. God is mad, even furious with me. You're ugly, incapable, and stupid, and there is no hope for change. You have no choice but to give in to temptations. 
You know in your heart that you are a terrible person, that your life is so dark that you're a fraud. Boy, those are deep, aren't they? But these are lies that the enemy throws at us. They're lies that sometimes come from within, sometimes come from others. Jesus knew his identity. And he kept a clear conscience with God and men. And he finds himself, in the text we're looking at, having to defend himself and, and affirm his identity. So we said the theme for the month is controversy. And who is Jesus to you? This is Mark 3, 20 to 35. In that passage, two opinions of Jesus arise which enable him to clarify his identity. The religious leaders say is demon-possessed. His family says he is out of his mind. Now we're going to look at the religious leaders first. And even though the bookends of the story revolve around his family, we'll save that for the second part, okay? So we're going to jump in at verse 22. And the teachers of the law who came down from Jerusalem said, he is possessed by Beelzebul. By the prince of demons, he is driving out demons. So Jesus called them over to him and began to speak to them in parables. How can Satan drive out Satan? If a kingdom is divided against itself, that kingdom cannot stand. If a house is divided against itself, that house cannot stand. And if Satan opposes himself and is divided, he cannot stand. His end has come. In fact, no one can enter a strong man's house without first tying him up. Then he can plunder the strong man's house. Truly, I tell you, people can be forgiven all their sins and every slander they utter. But whoever blasphemes against the Holy Spirit will never be forgiven. They are guilty of an eternal sin. He said this because they were saying he has an impure spirit. Now, the text opens in verse 22, and it tells us that they've reached a new level of controversy. An official delegation of scribes, lawyers, have come down to, all the way from Jerusalem up to Galilee where he is, and they're going to investigate this guy Jesus. And they're believing that he is seducing the town and community with lies. So they're going to examine him and to protect the people. And again, this is official. This is very, very official. So that's different than what we've seen before. They accused him, and they kept saying this. The text is very clear. They didn't just say it once. They kept saying, and in fact, in the text, it, it's the beginning and then the end of the story, that he's possessed by Beelzebul and that he has an unclean spirit, which unclean spirit is the way Mark has identified demons from the beginning of this book. Beelzebul. Beelzebul is likely a god of Ekron. All right, this is in Canaan. This is now the promised land. Very interesting. When Joshua and his soldiers went into the promised land, what were they told? 
defeat everyone. But they did not defeat the city of Ekron. And so now we read in 2 Kings 1, when Isaiah had fallen through the lattice of his upper room in Samaria and injured himself. So he sent messengers saying to them, go and consult Beelzebub, the god of Ekron, to see if I will recover from this injury. Are you kidding me? You have Yahweh, you have El Shaddai, you have Jehovah Jireh as your God, and you're going to consult with a demon? You're going to ask for advice? See, this is what happens. Because they didn't defeat them, they're all of a sudden following them. Now, Beelzebul, Beelzebub, is that God that was of the Canaanites in that region? There's a lot of different ways people say his name should be understood. Beelzebul, Beelzebub, maybe Lord of the Flies, maybe Lord of the Dung, or maybe the Lord of the Heights. That probably is what's suggested because what Jesus, or what they're accusing him of later, they say the Prince of Demons, the one who's in authority over the demonic forces. So what they're saying is that He's using Satan's power to defeat Satan. He's using sorcery. And that is a very serious accusation. Particularly, they identify with Beelzebul. I, I find that just really appalling. Like they are identifying him with an idol, with a false god that none of the Sanhedrin would ever acknowledge. They're doing this on purpose. By the way, they cannot deny that he's casting out demons. <laughs> they can't deny that. They should listen to the demons. You're the son of God! But they don't. So, it says in the text that Jesus responds in parables. What I found rather interesting is, Matthew and Luke say he knew their thoughts. So, he's the one that read their minds about these accusations, even before they voiced them. And he calls them to himself, and he begins to speak in parables. We're going to find parables a lot in this letter. Um, you know, it's an earthly story with a heavenly meaning. It's a clever way of saying things, very simple. And uh, that's what a parable is. And in Mark... Most of the time when Jesus speaks in parables, he's addressing controversy. And that, that's the case here. So he tells them two parables. The umbrella theme is, how can Satan drive out Satan? See, that, that really is what stands behind it. A divided kingdom, parable number one. A divided kingdom, a divided house, uh, uh, Satan divided, can't stand can't stand, will not survive, not able to stand. And as it says in the text, his end has come. Now you might remember that Abraham Lincoln quoted this during the Civil War. A house divided. How can it stand? And the reality is it can't stand. That, that's the point. And its end has come. Its end has come. The end is coming, the end is finished, the New Living Translation says. And if Satan is divided and fights against himself, how can he stand? 
he would never survive. Now that's a paraphrase, but that's, that's accurate that Jesus is using this parable. Now, I wanted to show you what Matthew, what Matthew said about this in his letter. If I drive out demons by Beelzebul, by whom do your people drive them out? <laughs> That's a good question. So then, they will be your judges. But if it is by the Spirit of God that I drive out demons, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. And in Luke... Now, if I drive out demons by Beelzebul, by whom do your followers drive them out? So then they will be your judges. But if I drive out demons by the finger of God, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. Driving out demons just takes the finger. Wow. This is really an interesting text. The second parable is about a strong man. And he, and he says very clearly in the text. In fact, no one can enter a strong man's house without first tying him up. Then he can plunder the strong man's house. The strong man is strong, physically, spiritually, in every way, strong. He can't really be defeated. What is required is to bind him up in order to be able to defeat him. Now, let me turn over to Luke. I, I, wanted to, I wanted to read for you a little of what Luke says about this same story. When a strong man fully armed guards his own house, his possessions are safe. But when someone stronger attacks and overpowers him, he takes away the armor in which the man trusted and divides up his plunder. Whoever is not with me, Jesus said, is against me. And whoever does not gather with me scatters. So commentators are divided. Some think the straw man is Satan. And the only one that can defeat him is Jesus because he's stronger. He can bind him. He can release these people from the possessions of, by unclean spirits. And he's the only one that can do it. And Satan certainly wouldn't do it against himself. I also have read some commentators that say the strong man is Jesus and he can never be defeated by Satan. So either way, I don't really care how you see it. I think both are true, actually. Sometimes we blame God for promises he never made to us. Now, Maybe I'm the only one that does this, but I was with a group of pastors. They confess they do this. Like, if you believe that God promised you would never get sick and then you get sick, but God never promised you'd never get sick. You see, there are many times you need to think about what actually did God promise. It's better to go to the text and claim the promises of God. And I want to say this clearly if Jesus is in your house, you're safe. You're safe. The strongest ever, the Almighty, is in your house. And no one can snatch you out of his hand. And what a blessing that is. So, in Isaiah, I love the way Isaiah says it, can plunder be taken from the warriors or captives be rescued from the fears? 
But this is what the Lord says. Yes, captives will be taken from warriors and plunder retrieved from the fierce. I will contend with those who contend with you and your children I will save. I will make your oppressors eat their own flesh. They will be drunk on their own blood as with wine. Then all mankind will know that I, the Lord, am your Savior, your Redeemer, the Mighty One of Jacob. Jesus was setting them free. Jesus was plundering the enemy. Peter says it very clearly, and again, you remember that Peter, Mark consulted with Peter when he wrote this. Peter describes salvation, and then he says, and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade. This inheritance is kept in heaven for you. Your inheritance in Christ can never spoil or fade or wear out like your 401k. Whatever, right? It's not going to happen because it is kept by the Almighty in heaven, by the strongest one in the safest place. Who through faith are shielded by God's power until the coming of the salvation, oh, come today, that is ready to be revealed in the last time. In all this you greatly rejoice, though now, for a little while, you may have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. Now, little while means in comparison to eternity, this seems like little while, but for some people, they've lived a very difficult life. These have come so that the proven genuineness of your faith of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by fire, may result in praise, glory, and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. Amen. Two parables. Now, Jesus is going to apply it. Okay? He's going to tell us what he means. Truly I tell you, amen, amen. Great Solomon introduction. First time uh, Mark uses this. People can be forgiven all their sins and every slander they utter. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. But... Whoever blasphemes against the Holy Spirit will never be forgiven. They are guilty of an eternal sin, the unpardonable sin. Oh, Pastor, you really stepped in it now. Right? So what exactly do you think Jesus means by this? They will never, ever, ever have forgiveness. They will be guilty and liable forever. You remember that John had told them Jesus would baptize with the Holy Spirit. This is, again, the second time in the letter the Holy Spirit uh, is seen. If you call the work of God, you say, no, no, that's the work of Satan. You've blasphemed against the Holy Spirit. That's what they were doing. They're saying, you're doing this by the power of Satan. No, no. He's doing it by the power of God. If, on the other hand, God really is working and you, and you attribute it to Satan, that's equally as blasphemous. In either case, you will never come to faith in Jesus Christ because you won't see him as Savior. And that is Unpardonable to not come to faith in Jesus Christ. In the context, we see that they were attributing what he was doing to Satan. 
and uh, calling the work of God satanic, charging him with sorcery, was unforgivable. Well, to those who call evil good and good evil, who put darkness for light and light for darkness, who put bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. Woe to those who are wise in their own eyes and clever in their own sight. Woe to those who are heroes at drinking wine and champions at mixing drinks, who acquit the guilty of a bri- for a bribe and put justice, deny justice to the innocent. Therefore, as tons of fire lick up straw and as dry grass sinks down in the flames, so their roots will decay and their flowers blow away like dust, for they have rejected the law of the Lord Almighty and spurned the word of the Holy One of Israel. Isaiah is saying something very similar. What is the greatest sin? It's not murder. It's not adultery. It's not lying. It's not stealing. It's not gossip. It's not trusting Jesus Christ and his work on your behalf. We're going to pack boxes for children, right? Aren't you excited about that? My wife shops all year for this stuff. Oh, you know, we'll go to a store. Oh, I'm going to go over here. There's got to be some stuff. It's beautiful. Wonderful. And let's suppose you pack that box and you do it perfectly. You put everything in that box that a child in some other country needs. You put a soccer ball in there. You put some underwear, socks, everything they so preciously need. And it's delivered to them, and they say, I don't want it. It's a bunch of junk, and they throw it away. That's the unpardonable sin. God has provided everything for you to be in heaven with him forever. But if you reject it, that's unpardonable. You are blaspheming against the work of the Holy Spirit. For Jesus said, when he comes, he will prove the world to be in the wrong, convict them about sin, righteousness, and judgment, about sin, because people do not believe in me. You are not born in this world with an innate trust in Jesus Christ. You must decide to believe on him. And this is a miracle work of the Spirit of God. And if you deny it, there's no hope. Boy, that's, that's really sobering, isn't it? Eternal sin, liable forever. Mm. That's hard to read. But I want to assure you, There is no instance in the New Testament where someone cried out in repentance for forgiveness and was denied. Right? What's true there is true today. When a person, a sinner, the worst of sinner you can imagine, turns to Christ, asks for forgiveness, they are given that forgiveness forever. And it's free and it's of grace. Amen. All right, let's get on to the family. That's enough. I'm getting tired. Jesus defeats our enemy, Satan, every time. Every time. Hallelujah. He's the strong man in the house. Cannot be defeated. Or he defeats Satan, the strong man, depending on how you understand it. His family wants to take charge. This is at the beginning of the text. And again, the bookends is kind of an interesting picture here. Jesus entered a house, and again, a crowd gathered. We've been seeing that every time. So that he and his disciples were not even able to order tacos from Taco Bell. (laughs) They couldn't eat. It's so crowded, they can't even eat. Nobody eats at Taco Bell anyway. And anyway, um, when his family heard about this, 
They went to take charge of him, for they said he is out of his mind. They wanted to take charge. They wanted to seize him. They wanted to arrest him and take him home. And they're charging that he's out of his mind. He's lost his senses. So we jump in the text to the next instance. His family wants to meet with him. Then Jesus' mother and brothers arrived. Standing outside, they sent someone in to call him. A crowd was sitting around him, and they told him, your mother and brothers are outside looking for you. They're calling him by name. We want a personal encounter with him. Now, I don't know if Mary bought into the lie that he was out of his mind. I mean, I find that hard to believe. She was there when he was conceived miraculously. Now, 30 years later, I, I, I don't know. I, it does say in, the, in, in John that his brothers rejected him until after the resurrection. So we do know that to be true. And um, the crowd, they're just saying, hey, Jesus, your family's out there. And then he identifies who his family members really are. Who are my mother and my brothers, he asked. Then he looked at those seated in a circle around him, a small group. Well, no, it wasn't so small. And said, here are my mother and my brothers. Whoever does God's will is my brother and sister and mother. Hallelujah. You want to be in the family? That's what you do. You obey God. And the first step is to believe on his son, the Lord Jesus Christ, and receive him as your Savior. That's the first step. And there will be many to follow. Hallelujah. In a life devoted to doing the will of God. Behold, Jesus said, that's who my family members are. You know, this had to be a very sad day for Jesus, don't you think? Man, to hear that his family's saying he's out of his mind. Some of you have been through similar circumstances. Some of us, when we put our faith and trust in Christ, did not get affirmation from family. And it's, it's a blessing to know that Jesus can identify with this. Can a mother forget the baby at her breast and have no compassion on the child she has born? Though she may forget, I will not forget you. See, I have engraved you on the palms of my hands. Your walls are ever before me. Hallelujah. If the whole world rejects you, you'll never be all alone in Christ. He will never leave you. He will never forsake you. I, I find it shocking that this happened to Jesus. I really do. But I'm so thankful for that promise. Jesus warned us, though, it's not always easy to not suppose that I have come to bring peace on the earth. I did not come to bring peace, but a sword. For I have come to turn a man against his father, a daughter against her mother, a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. A man's enemies will be the members of his own household. Some of you have lived that. People around this world today are experiencing this. Thankfully, that's not true for my case. But it is true for some. But it's worth it to keep your trust in the Lord. Even if everybody else forsakes, 
once again, we are reminded that our high priest can empathize. And that he loves us, never forsake us. Now, I want to conclude with a story I heard at this conference. That guy is Billy Casper. Some of you don't know who he is. He was a professional golfer, and he won 51 tournaments. He won two U.S. Opens, and he won a Masters in Augusta, Georgia. Now, the Masters is a unique tournament because if you have won the Masters, you are always invited to play in any Masters. Now, that's not true in a lot of tournaments. You have to qualify. But at the Masters, if you've won once, you get to play. <laughs> so, in 2005, Hootie Johnson, who was the chairman of the board of Augusta National, sent a letter to Doug Ford, Gay Brewer, and Billy Casper and said, Billy, you shouldn't play anymore. You're getting too old. It's an embarrassment. <laughs> now again, Jack Nicholas said, he qualified, if he wants to play, he can play. So, at age 73, he lost 60 pounds, and he figured, I can compete. So he went down to Georgia and teed it up at the Masters. When he got to the 16th hole, that, that's this hole right here that's pictured on the right. You see the water? Well, Billy, a champion 51 times, knocked it in the water. One in, two out, three in, four out, five in, six out, seven in, eight out, nine in, ten out, 11 on the green, and three putts for a 14 on a par three. When he got to the end of the round, <laughs> he'd shot 104. That is by far the biggest score ever recorded, but he made sure it would never be recorded. Because if you take your card, you have to sign it for it to become official. And on the 18th green, he took the card and put it in his pocket and said, I ain't signing it. So nobody will ever know I shot 104 at the Masters. We got some bad days sometimes, brothers and sisters. Man, we got some bad days. We didn't want to sign the card at the end of the day. It just was a bad day. We, we did some things we were ashamed of. We, 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 we dumped it in the water a couple times over. And I want you to know that Jesus Christ will sign every card of every day for you in his blood. If he sets you free, you're free indeed. Yes, he empathizes, even on our worst days. Do not refuse God's gift of free forgiveness. Believe the truth, not lies. There is one Savior who can save and for, will forgive all sins, past, present, and future. And all you need to do is trust in him. Do not turn away. Because there's no salvation without personal faith in him. Dear Lord, thank you for reminding us in a very serious way 
how dangerous it is to reject you. Lord, we all live like that at one point. We were dead in our trespasses and our sins, and then by the miracle of your grace, you opened our eyes and we believed on Christ. And I pray that for everyone listening. I pray that for everyone in this room. Whoever might ever hear this message, may, you, may they hear the invitation, believe in me. You believe in God, believe also in me, Jesus said. Put your trust in me. Lord, I just pray that's the miracle of the new birth that everyone in this room has received and has experienced. But if you've not, all you need to do is believe right now. The Holy Spirit is convicting you. You do not believe on Christ. Believe on him. Trust in him. And you will forever be free and safe because he'll be in your house and no one can defeat him. In Jesus' mighty name we pray. With thanksgiving, amen. You've been listening to audio from Fellowship Community Church in Centennial, Colorado. If you'd like more resources or want to support this ministry, please visit www.fcchurch.org.